It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. I do want to make something very, very, very clear on this late night, early morning, instant reaction edition of Rico Bronia after the Mets stunningly come back and beat the Diamondbacks 2-1. to This is not, I repeat, not a Wabak podcast. Uh, hey, the pennant race is back on. The season's back on. The team doesn't suck kind of podcast. It's not. Here's what it is, in my opinion. All right. It's a holy crap. That was a great victory. Let's enjoy it. Let's talk about it. Let's revel in it. Edition of Rico Bronia. So as excited as I am, and I will show my excitement over the course of however many minutes we do this, 15, 20 minutes, I am not suggesting that at 40 and 46, the Mets are back. I'm not suggesting that, that they're about to make this incredible run. What they've done is they've put together four straight wins, and that's great, and you got to start somewhere. And this victory on Wednesday night in Phoenix, Arizona, was a 2022 kind of Mets win. It was an exhilarating, stunning, just pull one out of your ass kind of win that has a ton of positives that we'll discuss. But before we say anything else, now, Hoff may disagree with his beautiful bald head. Okay, he shaved it. The Mets are hot since. Nobody can deny that. I am not telling you the Mets are back. I'm not there yet. Will there come a point where I say that? I hope I do. I'm just not saying it yet with four straight wins. But the New York Mets on Wednesday night in Arizona, as we all stayed up late watching a very, very frustrating game, ended in the most stunning way possible. And we'll start the ninth inning. We'll work our way back. Kodai Senga's utterly brilliant. More on him in a little bit. They had down one nothing in the ninth inning. And by, so meekly do they go down one and two against Andrew Chafin. The first out's on three pitches. Starling Marte rolls one to second. Jeff McNeil never met a first pitch he doesn't like. Flies out to left field. And so think about where we are. The Mets have had three hits in this game, two of which are infield hits. They're facing Andrew Chafin, who we probably talked about on this pod a million times as an offseason target. And hey, if the Mets had added Andrew Chafin, not tonight, not this game, but with what he had done so far for Arizona, Met bullpen's far different. Mets are a better team. Let's be honest. If they added Andrew Chafin five months ago, better baseball team. Maybe they win three or four more games. I don't think it's crazy considering how crappy the bullpen is. But they are down to their final out on four pitches against Andrew Chafin. This felt just like the Devin Williams uh, mow downs from last week at City Field. And here is our hope. Here is our little trolling god, Francisco Alvarez. And remember, there was a 3-2 pitch in which it looked like he swung and missed. He barely tipped it. It bounced off the catcher, Carson Kelly, and he stayed alive. And Alvarez kept battling. And then Mike Piazza style goes opposite field. And you could feel off the bat, especially with the way the ball travels at Chase Field. Holy crap, this has a chance to get out. Oh, my God. Especially the excitement that Gary Cohen had. And in that split second, I was thinking, Gary, don't F with me. Don't F with me, Gary. 
You're very, very excited. You're in the building. We're not. You can't tell right away off the bat. This son of a bitch baseball better go over the fence. And it does. And I jump out of my seat. Everybody's jumping out of their seat. You're down to your final strike. You're down a run. There's two outs and nobody on. You look lifeless. And Francisco Alvarez hits his 15th home run of the year. And it feels like every single one of them has been clutch. It feels like every one of them has been big. So Alvarez goes deep. And and off you tell me. Within 30 seconds of him hitting the home run, I had the realization this is all a tease and we're going to lose brutally in a walk-off. That's what went through my mind. I even tweeted it. I didn't, uh, whatever that new service. What's the new service that just came out? Links? Oh, I don't know. I don't uh, know. You don't know about that? I haven't the, signed up for that yet, no. Oh, I, I did. I didn't, like, promote it. I just, I was like, you know what? I'll I, I keep myself safe. So I tweeted it. I didn't put it on that other service, whatever the hell it's called. I still don't even know. Threads. That's what it is. Threads. I didn't thread it. I tweeted it. Hey, this is great. But hey, everybody, we're going to lose in brutal walk-off fashion. Did you share that belief? No, I did not. Um, Once Francisco Alvarez hit that home run, I had full confidence that we'd find a way to actually win the game. I didn't know how, but I I felt very confident. I thought Chafin's their best reliever at that point in time. And if he's struggling, I think that we've got to that bullpen and we'll find a way to score one more run. The the problem I had is in the immediate aftermath of the home run, and I really should do a better job of enjoying big moments. And maybe if uh, my kids were up, I would have enjoyed it with them. Like, oh my God, Francisco Alvarez, game-tying home run. Everybody's asleep. And I think the later in the night it gets, the more bitter I am that the Mets are going to make me lose (laughs) and not be able to sleep at night. Like, I stayed up. I'm investing all these hours in this team. I just, I got so many scars, we all do, from all the West Coast losses over the years that my brain immediately goes to pain. But when Alvarez hits the home run, I'm quickly thinking, okay, great. I'm excited, but there's two outs and nobody on, and the Diamondbacks have the heart of the order coming up in the ninth inning, and God knows who's going to pitch. Like, is Buck going to go to David Robertson in the tie game? Obviously, Kodai's done after 107. Is he going to go to Trevor Gott in his Met debut? I don't know. So my brain immediately goes to, this is great and all, and it's another kind of note for Francisco Alvarez, another little uh, star for Francisco Alvarez. But what does it really mean if we lose? And my my views started to feel a little bit different. And this is an underrated play in this game. When Brett Beatty against the lefty, against the lefty buck, hits that 0-2 pitch from Chafin and bounces it past the second baseman Pedromo. Or I guess uh, at this point Marte was in at second base because he had pinch hit. Bounces one past Ketel Marte, and all of a sudden the Mets have a base runner. And not that I'm believing Mark Canna is hitting a bomb, but I am thinking, okay, a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. And Mark Hanna, much like last year against the Phillies, had that signature moment, that absolute bomb to right center field. And as it's going over the head of Alec Thomas, who's a, a tremendous defensive center fielder, here's the instant thought in my head. Don't bounce over the fence. Don't bounce over the fence. Don't bounce over the fence. Because unlike... What we saw recently with the fan touching the baseball, it's not like Brett Beatty's getting awarded home here. He's not. So as that ball is dropping past Thomas in deep right center field, I mean, it was an absolute bomb off the bat of Canada. It's probably a home run in just about every ballpark. I see it stay down, 
bounce against the fence. And now I'm, I'm enthused, as we all are, because now the Mets took the lead. Two outs and nobody on, three straight hits. They had three hits the entire game, two of which were infield hits. The Mets take the lead, and you have that little butterfly in your stomach, the magic. The magic of 2022 is back. Now, I, I had hoped that Tommy Pham, after Nimmo's walk, was going to be able to deliver yet another base hit and give us an insurance run. But you know what? Beggars can't be choosers. We have a lead. We're handing the baseball to David Robertson, even though it's against the heart of the order. And I, I started to feel better, Pete. I started to actually not think that we're going to get kicked in the balls with a walk-off loss. That David Robertson, who was not great the night before when he was pressed into duty because Drew Smith just stinks, that David Robertson is not going to have another shaky outing. And he delivers a 1-2-3 inning that in the middle of it featured one of the luckiest plays you'll ever see which we all gladly accept the Mets are due for lucky plays when Corbin Carroll hits the comebacker that bounces off of Robertson and goes directly to Pete Alonzo. And let me say this about Pete. Let me put Pete over because Pete's taking a beating for how bad he looks offensively, and he looks bad. I'm not going to defend him. 0 for 4 in this game, a couple of strikeouts. He's lost at the plate. It has not affected his defense, and that should be said. Pete made an incredible diving playing game. One of this series, which I'm not going to spend any time on because we'll have another podcast to break down the entire series. But Pete has looked good defensively. He made a couple of good plays in this game, one of which saved a bad throw by Brett Beatty. And there was another one. I forget who we saved the bad throw from. It may have been uh, McNeil. But either way, Alonzo's showing the nice little footwork at first base, and he has been fine defensively. So, We could take our shots at how bad he's been offensively, and he's been bad for a while, and I think it's a little lazy to just connect it to the injury because he was slumping before the injury. So I don't necessarily think, ah, he came back too soon, he's still injured. I don't know if I fully buy that, but he's not hitting. I mean, we're the first to tell you, but he's looked good defensively. Robertson strikes out Kristen Walker, who has hit two home runs in this series that have combined to go 1,000 feet, and the New York Mets have pulled off, I say this unequivocally, 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 I think this is the best win of the year. I think it surpasses the game against Tampa, as great as that comeback was, and it was an incredible comeback. I think considering where they are in this season, even more desperate to win games at seven games under 500 coming in, you get this just brilliant performance by Kodai Senga that was about to be wasted. Alvarez has cooled off big time over the last few weeks. I think when you combine all of those things, plus the West Coast aspect almost adds to it, because if you're watching this game, you stayed up late, it's almost midnight, it's past midnight, whatever time it was, um, I think it's that big of a win. Now, what does it turn into? If they go out and lose the next three or the next four going into the All-Star break, it's a fart in the wind, as I like to say. But hopefully this can be something we look back on and say, hey, that was a great win, and it was in the midst of a 10-game winning streak. But what a freaking victory by this team. And it secures back-to-back series wins, which is something that we couldn't dream of in June. Uh, again, like you said, Kodai Senga was amazing. He made one freaking mistake. Besides that, he was unhittable. So much so that Evan Longoria had got a pitch clock violation against him because he was – he was trying to slow down Senga, how brilliant he was. And then, like, dude, 
Francisco Alvarez, this is something we've talked about and we've seen it now across town with Volpe. I'm not going to get into him at all. But the fact is you play the young kids enough, they come up. Alvarez is in every big spot imaginable. We saw that last year with the six games he was up for. How many times was he in the ninth inning with like, you know, two outs and he's the last savior? It's constant. It's I don't know why or how, but he's always in that spot. It doesn't make a difference where he's batting in the lineup. I think back to that at bat. I think we did a drive home podcast right after the loss earlier this season when he was facing Josh Hader and he looked completely overmatched earlier this season. And we both even said, yeah, we're not mad at him. It's a good experience and hopefully you learn from it. And boy, is he ever. I mean, he has, you know, the fact he's hit two home runs now to tie a game with the Mets down to their final out. Something that has happened so rarely in the history of the franchise. I was reading a tweet. I'll, I'll repeat it to you because I thought it was so incredible by a uh, New York Mets stats, which is the Twitter account with two career game tying home runs with two outs in the ninth inning or later. It's only been done four times. Francisco Alvarez, Mike Piazza, Todd Hundley and Dave Marshall. Alvarez has already done that twice. He's still a rookie. Obviously, Piazza had a bunch of years with the Mets. Same with Todd Hundley. Alvarez has already done it twice, and he's a rookie. And I'll do a deeper dive on this for the podcast we do to wrap up this series. It feels like every home run he's hit has been very, very clutch. Not just the obvious ones that we remember, but I'm going to go through all of them. It won't take long, and I'll do it on the pod for you so you don't have to do it yourself. Uh, I'm telling you, it feels like every single one of them has been clutch. Now, to Senga, like you said, Pete, he was so utterly brilliant. Utterly brilliant. And even though the Diamondbacks had two guys on in the first inning, I never felt like he was getting hit hard. It wasn't one of those typical Senga performances where he struggles early and then settles in. He gave up two blue pits, two blue pits in that first inning, and then very calmly got the double play against Christian Walker. Then he starts putting on a show. And how many times did he fool Diamondback hitters with fastballs? I mean, really, 0-2 fastballs right down the middle, 2-2 fastballs right down the middle because they were spooked. They're waiting for the ghost fork. And all of a sudden, I didn't mean to do that, by the way. The whole, always spooky, like a, like a ghost. I, I didn't mean to do that. But I did it. So congratulations to me. Uh, but they were waiting for that pitch, and they were getting fastballs right down the middle. He struck out 12 guys. How many of them were looking? Let's count this up. One. Two, three, four, uh, five. Five of the 12 strikeouts were looking. Now, there was one that was a violation. So if you really do the math, it's five looking, six swinging. And like you talked about it with Longoria, the violation strikeout. He was in complete, utter control. He walked Christian Walker with two outs in the fourth inning, let him steal second base rather easily, and then calmly, Strikes out Lourdes Correal. He gives up a leadoff base hit to Jake McCarthy, which I also think was an infield hit. And what does he do after giving up a stolen base? He strikes out the next two guys, got bailed out by Nimmo, who made a really good running catch against Alec Thomas. Kind of reminded you of the good defensive Nimmo, not the one who's made a couple of miscues over the last few weeks. He was dominant in the sixth. Even after he gives up the home run, he retired the next six guys which included Buck allowing him to pitch the eighth inning, which I loved. His pitch count was 99. It's 8-9-1. and one. Your bullpen sucks. And why not save your crappy bullpen while you're at it? 
And I don't think you want to throw Trevor Gott into his first situation in a one nothing game in the eighth inning. So I love the fact that Buck pushed Senga because too many times, too many times, and we said this about Peterson last week, it feels like Buck's in a rush to go to his bullpen. And in this game, he said, hey, I got a dominant starter who's made one mistake. Let me squeeze another inning out of him. And Kodai Senga puts together eight innings. Eight innings? That doesn't even happen in 2023. Eight innings, one run, 12 strikeouts, one walk. For a guy that leads the world in walks, one walk in this game. This was utterly dominant. And think about this with Kodai Senga. Think about this. Two of his bug, well, really one of his bugaboos was pitching on the road. He's had better splits at home. He not only does this on the road, he does this against an offense that scores five runs a game. He didn't do this against the Sisters of the Poor. He didn't do this against the Oakland A's. Not that it matters. You got to beat who's on your schedule. I'm never one to throw that kind of stuff back. I'm just kind of reminding you how damn impressive this was. And here's the other thing that I think we all have to except to a degree, okay? Because you got to be reasonable about this. Kodai Senga was given two extra days of rest. He was. Remember, at the last second, they flip-flopped Max Scherzer and Kodai Senga on Tuesday. And there were two reasons for it. Number one, why not give Senga the extra day? And number two, if Senga pitched on Tuesday, well, yes, he would come back and pitch Sunday, that would be on regular rest, which he's only done twice this season. So the thought was, let's give Max the two starts versus Senga get the two starts, and let's give Senga his one start with extra rest. I think earlier this season we would hear this and get annoyed and say, come on, he's got to pitch on regular rest, and he does have to pitch on regular rest. You can't finagle the schedule all the time, but in this case, I get it. Like, I do. Like, in this case, I understand. And Kodai Senga, and maybe the two extra days helped. Maybe he doesn't do this with only one extra day. I have no idea. None of us will ever know. But with two extra days, he gives you this utterly dominant performance. So where I'm at with that in Senga is, look, I'm not skipping him in the rotation. I'm not calling up a sixth guy. I can't get that crazy in giving him extra days. But I think when the opportunity is in front of you and it's not, unreasonable kind of like this situation you do it the guy's better with extra rest I mean it is what it is Shohei Otani never pitches on regular rest never so I guess that's another reason to go sign him he'll fit right in (laughs) give him an extra rest but man oh man Sanga was chef's kiss on on you know on another note too the benefit of Scherzer pitching twice quicker He's always said he needs to have more. He wants to pitch more. So he's starting to get into a groove. Maybe it is better for Scherzer, too, just to be more active. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, look, I didn't love his last performance. We'll spend more time on that. He pulled a glavin, as I like to say, continuing to blow leads. But, yeah, Scherzer's always said he's more comfortable on regular rest, and he gets it. He gets And he gets the extra start. He goes out there and makes another start. And I think with Senga in making this adjustment to the United States, Kodai Senga has already thrown 89 and two-thirds innings. So he has a chance to match the most innings he's ever thrown, and that includes all his years in Japan. So I think that is also in the back of your mind that you want to be smart because 
Here's the thing about Senga that's very different than Scherzer, Verlander, Carrasco, and to a lesser degree, Quintana, who's on his way back. Kodai Senga is going to be here for a while. Kodai Senga is not here for a year. He's not here for two years. I mentioned, I don't know if it was on the last Rico or two Ricos earlier. Hey, with Verlander and Scherzer, I don't want to protect their arm. Like, go out there and pitch. You're a hired gun. You're only here for a couple of years. This team is now playing playoff games every day because they have to win every single day. Like, what are you messing around? Senga's different. Senga's a guy you got to protect. You got to be smart with him. Uh, with that said, he flashes some brilliance every once in a while. I know he can be frustrating. I know he's walked a lot of guys. In his last start, he threw a billion pitches. He throws 107 pitches over eight brilliant innings. Here's the other thing about this stunning Met victory that should be noted. Francisco Lindor went 0 for 4. Pete Alonso went 0 for 4. The Mets won a baseball game in which Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor did absolutely nothing. That's a rarity. That that does not happen often. Now, I know Alonso hasn't been doing much recently, but how often are the Mets winning games when they get nothing from Alonso and Lindor? See, I'd like for somebody to look that up, right? If I knew how to use Stathead better, the baseball reference uh, other page, I would put in what's the Mets record when Lindor and Alonzo don't get on base. That's how I would specify. Like, don't even get on base. Because, like, Lindor can walk a couple of times, steal a base, score a run. Or what's their record when they get no hits? Or what's their record when they don't drive a run in? Because it seems like the Mets kind of formula to winning is that their stars who play every single day, a credit to Pete, a credit to Francisco, uh, they got to perform. And if they don't perform, the Mets usually lose. And in this case, the Mets pulled one out of their ass. Best win of the season. If you disagree with me, uh, maybe you listened with some more time to calm yourself down. We're recording this right after the game, so I'm a little bit emotional. I'm excited. I'm pumped up. Four in a row. The Mets are playing good baseball. Doesn't mean we're back. It just means we have reason to be happy. They have now won back-to-back series. But here's the thing now. They got to go sweep the Diamondbacks. They got to go win two out of three against the Padres. I am now looking at the final four games saying, get me three of these next four games. And if you could do that, you win three of the next four. That means you had a real, I mean, you had a five and one road trip, first of all. And it means you would get to four games under 500, which is still not great. But now it starts to become a little bit more reasonable. Now you feel like, okay, I, I, I can work with this. Will they do that? I have no idea. I'm still not brimming with confidence, but hey, you got to start somewhere. And coming back from being a strike away from what felt like a DeGrom-like one nothing loss is a good way to start. We appreciate you listening. We'll give you a full Rico after this series is over. Talk more about game one, obviously game three. We'll look ahead to the series against San Diego. And obviously a lot of other things going on, including the trade that they made to bolster their bullpen. So a lot to do. We appreciate you listening to this instant reaction edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. <laughs>